Welcome to this week's episode of MVP Real Estate Podcast, Season 3, Episode 11. We have Joseph from the warm, warm climate of Arizona, sitting in the desert at like 80s, doubling our weather. But thanks for giving us the time. Thanks for jumping on the show. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Um, Now, you told us a little bit about where you're from, but we are excited to get into what do you do down in Arizona within real estate? Um, kind of where did you, we'll take it from the top. Where did you come from? And then what led you into the wonderful world of real estate that you're living now? Sure. So I'll start from the end, you know, right now in Tucson and in the other markets, I'm mostly focusing on high value added, taking projects from class D or C minus and doing high value value basically mm-hmm. high value renovation and redevelopment all the way to 300 200 units and um i'm overseeing the full cycle of the acquisition from purchasing all the way to refinance and sell um i kind of start my journey in real estate about 11 12 years ago actually in israel when i went, had the privilege to finish the last stage of a very cool historical building it was you know, very large building with very, you know, Italian marble and glass work from Chahuli, if you guys know the, the famous artist, and etc. That was kind of my first engagement to the real estate. And as we moved to to the state, I started, you know, with single family and managing for others and managing for investors, you know, and grow up to a larger portfolio it was kind of Hard in the beginning, I would say, you know, converting from meters and centimeters, yeah, yards and foot, which makes no sense because <laughs> wealth, but why not ten? Why twelve? And who knows what yard it is? And how's a quarter of an acre? It's a one dunam. It's much easier in 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 other, but uh, it took me a while to convert myself into this process, but. Um, Climb up with you know hundreds of single families renovations and um, fix and flips and small multifamilies and bigger and you know, 30s and 60s and 90s and and uh, I'm keep going both um, investing with others managing for others um, syndication funds with myself and my partners and um, hoping to get to do great everybody needs a roof under head yeah. No, that's exciting. That is quite the journey. So you started real estate investing in a different country, basically. Oh, yeah. I mean, my my other story is like transition, my previous career, and I, I managed, I've been in many in my few years, is actually I owned a party planner company. I used to be, you know, top party planner and, and events producing. And uh, some, you know, it's it's always a responsibility of project management. Yeah. And I found a very similar correlation. I just, you know, you have budget, you have people. Yep. Um, you got time timelines. Yeah. And I just switched. At some point in life, I switched flowers, uh, music, and chefs into plumbers, electricians, and <laughs> um, city inspectors. Which, I, I mean, that was all for better contractors until you said city inspectors. They may not be the most pleasant, but you need them. You need. Them. I know. It's part, of, it's part of the game. I know. You need them all, even if you like it or don't. Yeah, that is so true, and and definitely I can see 
some straight like parallels between the two organizing a project in terms of a house build or a party like you like you said already there are a lot of connections between the two so i can see the symmetry there what was big for me is how long did you operate overseas when you first started because i feel like you almost had to hit the complete reset button when you came over to the states like you said currency is different measurements different your contracts are all going to be different so how was that transition starting on a historic building, which is one, kudos to you, because that's already a difficult process, then coming overseas and basically have a hit, hit reset? So I'll tell you a deja vu story that just came to my mind. Um, I came to the state, to Ohio in the middle of the winter, crazy snow outside, you know, probably four or five feet. And I joined my friend and future boss into kind of the first tour, touring, you know, across the neighborhood and he's start, starting to show me different houses and different projects and different stages. And I came with my summer shoes. Um, they did not do well in four feet of snow, I'm yeah, sure. My first step was like five feet into a snow. I'm like, oh, oops. <laughs> I think I'm going to be wet for the next few hours. So like for a few hours, I've been going around him looking at different houses my feet i don't feel them anymore you know they're freezing cold uh that's that's where i felt the big delta and the big difference between where i'm coming from to where i'm going but um, oh yeah yeah you have to adapt quick you have to take opportunities and um don't say no to any opportunities that comes and the rest is the rest will come yeah that is that is true leave yourself open uh, when you were over, uh, and you said that was in India, right, where you started with that historic building? Israel. Israel, I apologize. All right, so I have never worked on a historic building. One, because they scare me with the amount of red tape. Because you can't just put traditional moldings in and building materials. If it's a historic building, at least here in the U.S. or in our area, you have to rebuild it as if it was from that time period. Obviously, you can upgrade plumbing, upgrade electrical, but your finishes kind of have to be the old, like, actual oak. You can't do any MDF, uh, or you're going to ruin the integrity of the historical building. Were you running about that overseas when you were doing that? Or is how does that parallel to our inspectors or our codes here in the U.S.? Kind of the so, same? Or so in Israel, my project, that was a new construction, but it's built, again, if you walk in and every area especially in the old city of jerusalem like everywhere it's funny like here we're saying oh it's a historical building and then you see it it's 100 years old in israel when it's history is 2500 3000 years it's, uh, it's yeah. a little bit different but um that was ground up and was in uh, many years involved and uh, a lot of archaeology that was being found on the base and that was very delegated process you cannot work with heavy machinery in that area and you have to work around police and only at nights that was a heck of a project as far as here i'll say with historical and to your point with historical projects i see it pros and cons um and each state and each regulation is different sometimes it could be just going into the details and understanding what's involved right it could be you only have to take the, fa the facade and the exterior to keep it originally which means keep the windows in historical Greek. That's easy, right? You can go mm -hmm. today, and I'm giving some 
some secret of, of the, our industry, right? You can go to a Windows store, a manufacturer, and ask them to create this type of grid. So it's going to look the same. It's going to be a dual panel. It's going to be a fancy, nice, energy-efficient windows. But at the same time, you're going to still keep this grid in the middle and this this look. But here you, here you are, the tenants or the future tenants have the modern look, have the efficiency of good AC, have the efficiency of good energy standards. You got a credit for energy, 45L, et cetera, um, for the people who are into it. But at the same time, you keep the historical project. Um, and some other cases, it's you need to know that if the piping is historical, you have to take consideration that you have to replace it. You usually don't have ground in the electrical. Um, you're facing much bigger problem, but it's also challenging and it also has his, his own charm, right? Everybody, most of the new builder companies, they kind of, you know, used to call them cookie cutters, but you see them all over the country. They look all the same. Mm -hmm. um, they're using the same material. It's kind of you walk into a unit that you know exactly where they took it from Home Depot shell. Um, some people like it because it's it's look and nice and fresh, but some people look it's this extra step and uniqueness of historical, charming. That's where you can really add value. Taking the old but make it functional and new. Mm -hmm. Which is hard, blending all the old building materials with the new. And that's just a in X's and O tactical in the field on top of the the red tape and the the codes that you need to get up to snuff with all those old buildings. So it is quite a feat. And I I'm I've got a million questions on that, but I want to cover the full scope of what you're doing. So you're going in, and I'm assuming when you first went in into the States and you were getting four or five feet of snow, that wasn't in Arizona, right? No, Said Ohio. That was Ohio. So did you know your boss slash now partner when you were in Israel or did you come over here and you met him and how did that kind of expand into to what you're doing? Um, yeah, I mean, I I knew him from before and obviously we had the conversation. I didn't go across the, the world with no certainty. That's a little bit dangerous. Yeah. But I was uh, knowing my position coming from different career and you know, taking slow and being observed and being you know, learned a lot and being grateful for the learning process. And, you know, many, many great people taught me a lot along the way. And I'm, you know, big grateful for them for all the for all the teaching, you know, I became who I am only because, you know, great mentors and great friends and bosses who been willing to share and willing to teach and willing to be patient with mistakes. And I think it's a good lesson for us to be, to act the same for our employees and friends. Yeah. No. And, and there's, that's a cool thing about the real estate culture. I'm sure you're finding a lot of people would be more than willing to help you or answer questions. If, if you haven't come across the situation before either jump around a podcast or a forum or something, um, there's always people out there that are willing to help. Which is, I think, a very cool part of this industry. Agree. Yeah, definitely. I mean, until until you have to put a bit of... Uh, until <laughs> yes. I'm against your friend, then there's no friends, right? It's yes. a bit of uh, But I agree. It's a very, you know, my personal motto. You need to give and not expect return. Give and give and give. It's going to come back to you. 
Yeah, it eventually will. Um, so you are, you're obviously doing the historic buildings and I'm assuming that you're flipping those. So those are straight resell. So every project is a little bit, you know, based on his own strategy. Um, yeah. It really depends on the market condition on, I mean, as we all know, the condition of the market is changing and evolving every, every minute, every day, we're coming and what's going to hit us tomorrow. Uh, so I really want to make sure my projects and my investments have enough margin to take, you know, cushion and precautions. If, you know, cap rates, you know, change dramatically, obviously the value, the NOI, but I'm, so I'm keeping, keeping myself. And that means not doing a lot of projects, sometimes be very specific and being very cautious and not running an after every other project. So I have the right amount, amount of margin to cover any mistakes or big changes in the market. Um, it's usually comes with much lower cash flow because to make a bigger jump, you need to almost, and that it's a negative cash flow, uh, but the rewards on the end is much bigger. Yeah. And as long as you have enough reserves to cover the, the negative cash flow, you'll see the rewards in a few years. Yeah, or or a capital partners. That that's what we, you know. It's always you need to have a capital, you know, capital partners. You know, your friends, your family who trusting you, trusting your boots on the ground, trusting your process, trusting your track record. Uh, when you say you're going to do something, you will do it, and you know you need to have enough network with GCs and property managements and engineers and designers to support you, and obviously finance financial aspect as well to support you in the process it's it's a business that you cannot do solo yeah education and tactical um and obviously with you coming from israel a lot of the people that listen to this show are either new or getting started some have multi like 100 units but you get the spectrum so when you come in you're first in ohio then you transition to arizona so you're picking up two different pods of subcontractors. How did you navigate one vetting your contractors in the different areas? What was your deciding factor of like, yep, this is the person I'm going with? Um, because for homeowners, some people only buy one house and only work with the one plumber that they called from the yellow pages. Mm -hmm. So like, how did you go in into a new territory starting a business, starting vetting all those subs in the area to find out, yep, this one's going to work for my business. Or, I mean, there's a few that you could say, yep, I like them, but they're not going to work for us. So what went through your brain as you were vetting all of those things? Sure. I mean, working with GC, we probably can spend a few hours here. And yes. It's the whole, the whole world. But a few tips I can share, definitely. So number one is constantly have a backup plan. A lot of a lot of flips, a lot of transactions are falling because you're relying on one person and sometimes he cannot finish or he's too busy or he's it's not enough profit that you know he's already into the process and he walks away and then you have to bring someone else to finish it then you're paying twice. Um so that's number one, have a backup. Number two is you know take two, three bids, take the right time to evaluate. Number three is have a very clear scope of work. 
the more precise scope of work up to details you will have, the more precise price you will get from the plumber, from the plumber, from the electrician, from any sub, right? If you come and say, hey, I need this and I kind of know what I'm doing, he need to right just change position. If he's the GC, he says, listen, this client not exactly know what he's doing. I need to have a, enough contingency plan, 20%, 30% contingency, just, just in case. Well, guess what? He's not gonna give you a change back if he's not gonna use this contingency, he's gonna go to his pocket. So the way for you to eliminate and create a minimum contingency just in case is to know exactly what's involved and ask the question, right? Hey, how much time is gonna take you? Oh how, oh, how many people is gonna be involved? Oh, it's five people, they're making 200 today. Okay, so five people times 200, and do the math. You need to make some living. Okay, that makes sense. But if the number of hours, the number of people, the number of skills involved, the materials versus labor doesn't end up in just shutting some rough numbers into the air, it's not gonna work. Um, push as much as you can responsibility and liability on the GC or on the subcontractor and have him have a full control. So, you know, you're responsible for permits, you're responsible to deliver the materials. Uh, have, you know, even though if it sometimes costs you a little bit more, give him the responsibility because this way he can own the process and being 100% responsible for it. Mm -hmm. uh, have a very clear guidance of quality control and the expectation, right? I'm going to come, I will pay you X amount of dollars if this and this QC criteria will be met. Like, make it clear in front because, again, oh, it looks nice. Nice, it's very subjective, right? Oh, it passed inspection. Well, the, the city inspection, with all the respect, they have a thousand inspections for this month. He's not going to be, you know, your QC guy. Uh, you want to leave some space for future, right? You're going to come to a place, you're going to start living, and then you're going to start to see all the problems. You want to make sure the guy will come back and honor the warranty or whatever it is. And he's not going to forget about you the day he's got the last check. And lastly, is being always, that's hard. That's always intense. You want to try to keep as much funding into your place and being that as scheduled, right? So if, it's, if the GC finished 50% of the work, you still owe him. You don't pay him already 60, 70%. You pay him less, yep. right? He wants to run after you for the money not you begging him, please, you need to come, find the time, do it for me. Uh, that's not sustainable because he already got the payment. He's already dreaming about the next job. He's already, his head is already at the next site. Yeah. You have to do anything you want. If you're capable to bring him back, that's really hard. Yeah. And that is, I'm going to put in a star in front of that one. Don't prepay don't for pay your pay. work. Just don't do it. It's a catch-all statement. Just don't. Right. It never ends up well. Yeah, and now you have agreement, have a lien waivers, have a partial lien waivers. Again, we can go hours and hours on that. Um, and I will say, lastly, is work with existing network. And like, for example, if you have a good electrician, ask him, listen, who's your buddy? Who do you like to yes. work on the plumbing side, right? Being avoid for yourself to being the middleman and trying to negotiate between two, three, four parties. You have a day job. You don't want to negotiate between 10 people. And then they starting to fight. Who's going to paint the caulking on the baseboard mm -hmm. because the painter already left. 
the baseball already left and now you have this situation when you don't know right that's all these gaps you know so call it between different uh subs and between different trades are really critical to make sure okay are you gonna come back and paint this or are you is that your responsibility or is that uh yours i think that's critical and again that goes to the scope of work and the detail orientation i think so defining responsibility or defining roles yeah for sure yeah enough um yeah for a start <laughs> oh absolutely and that list may seem very daunting for like a joe schmo homeowner who's going to try to get something done but the good thing is if you find a good uh contractor he will he will lead you to all of those things he will he will let you know about the insurance that you need he will let you know about the lien waivers and uh the permits needed also they'll have a rolodex of other contractors so if you pull a gc in and you want to get a shower done in your or your bathroom redone they should have a rolodex of electricians that they can work with and plumbers and that is so much nicer for you as a homeowner because you know the gc who's friends with the plumber and the plumber's friends with the electrician are all sitting talking about your project getting things done while you're doing your day job um and they know how the plumber is going to run his plumbing line so the electrician will already have a head start of where he can run his electric and if the gc has worked with both of them they know how to set those people up which will lower your chances for the dooming change order like everybody hates the change orders but like if you hire a whole team that has already practiced and played together you're gonna have less change orders because they already know the next step they know the system um, and I think a lot of homeowners fear like the connection because they feel like, all right, if these three people come in, they could take advantage of me because it's three against one. But you lose sight of the positive of that thing. Like they do work well together. So they're probably going to get done more efficiently. The quality is going to be better. You're going to have less hiccups. And that may cost you a little bit more, but your headache is going to be so much less. And that's what I've found. For sure, yeah. I mean, I done some project that it was back to back. I mean, the kitchen installer was installing the kitchen in the morning. The granite people was being scheduling for the afternoon, like back to back. So no, like a domino, and everybody needs to know their place in this this space. And if one is, oh, I'm just gonna do it after lunch. No, you cannot. It's a yeah. Everybody else around you, but planning that in the in events, and that's it for the GC, planning that in advance, knowing exactly who can work at the same time, right? The flooring guy cannot work at the same time with the painters because he needs to step on the floor. Mm -hmm. But the kitchen installer can work at the same time when somebody else is working on the shower. It could be a dual process, parallel processes working. So again, a good GC will know to schedule and to monitor this process is very well and also monitoring the expenses versus the time that needs to be spent. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever ask about um, communication? Like how often they'll communicate back to you about status of the project? Or do you look for GCs that have some sort of automation system that can upload pictures and track progress? Is that something that you look for? Or have you so found like really, that's something? Yeah, it really depends on the project and the size. Uh, if on my major projects, I'm using, you know, all the top software that, uh, that's out there. I have weekly reports. I have daily reports. 
um, for the people who don't know, it's really fun apps. You're getting pictures of every aspect. It's everything's been um, categorized. You know the the if it's sunny, if it's rainy. You know how many people on the job sites, who's doing what, exactly, etc. And then you always. It's not even if you don't need it now, but God forbid it something happened months from now, you can always go back to your log and see, oh no, that's your plumber screwed over because based on the pictures, that was not there, right? So mm -hmm. you can always I don't want to say blame, but you can put the right people in charge for what the action, safety, hazard, insurance claim, you name it. Yeah. Um, so that's on the larger project. On the smaller projects, I think it, you know, if you're doing a flip on the single family, uh, just set up the right expectation for you. Like, I want to come and see a finish. If you say it's a finish, I'm going to come for two hours and I'm going to do my inspection and I'm gone. I'm not going to come every day. I'm not going to come every hour, right? I want, I want you to respect my time and I want to respect you. So when I'm going to come, I'm going to come once and that's it. Um, so every, everyone has his own comfort. I mean, are you out of state investor? Are you are next door? Are you emotionally attached to the property and you want to visit the property every morning and you know drink coffee with the workers or not? It's I think it's a pers personal preference for each. each yeah, person. yeah, and I think a lot of that goes into the planning too. Like if it's if it's better planned and you have um, clear communication before it all starts, I feel like the communication is just going to be better from the start because everybody is starting at the same level. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll go back to that bathroom analogy. Uh, if you have a, a bathroom that you're redoing and you have plans, so the plumber knows exactly how tall to put the shutoff or where to put the drain, uh, where to put the toilet if you're moving it, like those type of things, or where the switches are going, all of those plans are going to help the communication trickle down because it's it's a trickle down effect it, it starts at the homeowner so if you're saying i want to get a tile bathroom and the first question the general contractor asks you is like all right what tile are you going to put in there and they're like well i don't know that's hard for us to give you a number of time and price if we don't know what tile you're putting in um like those are the plans that you can if they can go to to you right away and say hey Joseph, this is what I'm doing. This is the tile I'm using. This is the size. It like everything is right here on this piece of paper. Very easy for you to take that and then communicate back their mission rather than you trying to create it as you go. Right. On that note, I think, you know, is it two different philosophy and processes that are famous today to work? You know, design is build, build as design is really. I can go to my friends. As a designer, I can go to my architect, spend the right amount. He's going to scope whatever he's he learned in his, you know, in art school. And that could be a great and look amazing. And it's going to be from state of the art from the, you know, from a catalog. But practically, I mean, I don't want to take all the architects, you know, into bed. But not everybody knows exactly the processes and procedure and what's involved on the practical level on site so the architect can design something which not going to be 100 percent to the best of the interest of the owner or and the practical like he can design a subway tile mosaic that will be a nightmare to install so mm -hmm. instead of 
three three dollars a foot, for example, for labor. I'm going to charge them. You know, the GC will charge you eleven dollars, right? So if the GC was part of the original process, original, let's meet on site with the designer, with your GC who you already have trustable, and let's work around and decide what's feasible or not. Oh, I want my sink there. Wait a minute. Are you aware that you need to cut the flooring, add a drain? Are you looking at another five grand of just because you want your faucets there and not there? Is that worth it? If yes, yes. If it's not, so having this information in the very early stage of the process and putting people at the design stage going to save you a much more headache later on. That's that's my two cents on it. Yeah. And I think the GCs that get early on, because I've found that there are some subs and some GCs that when you're that early on the staging, they kind of like pass you off. Like, well, all right, well, get back to when you have plans. And that you're going to get the attitude all the way through the project, I feel like. If you get a GC that's willing to go through the planning stage with you and sit with you as you're trying to to plan out your space that you're trying to renovate. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, as a homeowner, I would say like, okay, this person at least has my interest in mind where he's coming during the planning stage. I feel like he cares a little bit more about this project. I'm probably going to get more service out of this person than the person that wants to wait for the plans. At least that is what I've found in in some of mine. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of a chicken and egg. You have to show. I mean, definitely, I'm not going to waste my time running and, and sitting in meetings as a GC with potential people and help them to do all the work. And then they're going to take all my advice and knowledge and we'll do some exactly the yep. same with someone else. So you need to always check the balances. Sometimes yep. you depending on your, on your position, right? If you're just starting your business, you have to much more give and give and share to earn business. As soon as you're busy, people are going to chase you. Yeah, that is true. It is true. And you are also, I heard, I heard something early on the show that you're also in multifamily. So you have some, some held properties or those ones that you manage for other owners. I'm usually, mostly, I would say, multifamily, high value okay. add, both for myself and both for others. I'm also consulting others for, you know, all the way from land development to, you know, new ground up to redevelopment uh, existing multifamily process. That That's, I think that's my, you know, special expertise and the track record that I, you know, in the past seven, eight years, I was multifamily. Yeah. And are you seeing uh, like major differences in operation from the commercial side to the residential? Yeah, it's a whole new different world, uh, multifamily versus single family, obviously. Um, That's pros and cons. I mean, I'm a big fan of multifamily. You have a lot of different benefits that you don't have on the single family from tax segregation, from credit and benefits, working with different municipalities. Uh, but but the process, the bigger you go, the process would be much more complicated, right? You need to work with planning departments and bigger architects and bigger lawyers and bigger, everything is bigger. All the checks yeah. that you're cutting are bigger, but also the rewards are much bigger. Um, I don't, you know, it's it's personal preference. Right. I prefer more doors 
under one roof, right? The bigger project, the better for me. Um, it's a one transaction, right? So to me, if it's 60 units or 90 units, the more is better. But it's not always uh, per your desire. You get what you get. And if the number makes sense and the property makes sense, then you do the project. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think everyone has his own strategies. And what you know, some people doing grand and Airbnb, some people doing in, you know, in warehouses and storages and mobile yeah. houses. I think it's a personal knowledge and expertise where you're coming from and know what you know. Like, I know what I know and I know what I don't. So I'm not, I'm not trying to be expert of all. And going back to, I think that just hit me. If you're trying to test the GC, start slow, right? Tell them, okay, do a small project. I know you, you are expert of the world, but let's do a sync and see how the process works. If he shows his expertise and his communication skills and he's saying what he's saying in the best way, give him another project, another project, another project until you're comfortable to give him your nature, your dream house or your project. So yeah. don't, don't give it, don't go all in at the beginning. Yeah. You just got to think of those little projects around the house you want them to start with. Yeah. Something complicated that he's, you know, a lot of people saying, yeah, I can do it all. When somebody's saying I can do it all to me personally, it's a red flag. I don't like, you know, when you go to a doctor and say, listen, I'm going to be your heart surgery, and <laughs> your brain surgery. And I also going to, fix your broken toe. No, 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 thank you, right? The more general you are, the more it's it's a red flag for me. I wanna to go to a doctor that is specialized only on the left toes, because that's what he's practicing for the past decade. Mm -hmm. um, kind of the same analogy on-, on, on Yeah, side. and it's true, and you have those correlations within even the residential market. You have some plumbers that they are built, their company is built for new builds. So they have a, a bunch of crew and they're good at going into a new house, running all of the wastewater and all the, the lines, but it comes to service and they're terrible. And then vice versa. Some companies are good at service, but terrible at new builds. Like those are the questions that the typical homeowner won't know to ask. Hey, do you do typical new builds or do you do a lot of service? And most contractors will say both. I know you do both, but which one primarily do you focus on? Because they are two different things. Um, masonry, like do you do foundation walls or do you do flat work? Two different masonry fields within one industry. So like what you're alluding to, like you have to drill down and find out what they are good at and let them do what they're good at rather than trying to do your landscaping and your framing. It's just going to, it's not going to end well. And it's not going to end well for your timeline too. Like you need to get this done. If he only has a crew member to do one thing at a time, like you're going to be, you're going to be flipping this house for three years and you won't make your margins. Correct. That goes back to, you know, what we spoke about scope and really questioning the right question. How many people you have? How much time is going to take you? Who's going to be on site? Who's going to oversee that? Right? The more, you know, the more, you know, it's sometimes it's, sounds like you really interrogate them like well who cares you know i'm paying the money i'll do the job you know get out get out of my veins but at the same time you want to evaluate and poke the right bears and if it's not comfortable to give you the right answer then it's not the right time yeah 
and you have to be okay with it not being the right guy like that or gal. Um, just some contractors just don't align with what you're going for. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing personal. It's just not going to work. 100%. Yeah. Um, and I know that that's a big fear of people. Like if I'm a homeowner and I bring in a contractor, I, I feel bad saying no to them. But protect your asset. Like this is something that you want done in your house. It's a, a high ticket item. Take care of it. So um, if that's a fear that we can try to like articulate to the audience of not fearing saying no, if it's not a good fit, it's going to save you time. Just like the planning. Always say, listen, I can refer you to the right person, but I don't see myself doing that. Whatever reason it is. And you can be a friend. Listen, your budget is not going to do it. Your time frame is not going to good for me. Your, yep. your uncertainty and not knowing what exactly you want is not comfortable with me. You know, go fish, go, Go do plans like you you mentioned. Go go do the homework. Come back to me. I will I will help you in any process. But I'm not feel comfortable to do it at this point. Yeah, so I'm gonna help you for a certain fee. Or you know, each one has his own way of how he wants to approach in his stage of um, his career. Yeah, and those conversations usually lead to a stronger connection or bond with that subcontractor. Um, the first time I had to say no to a sub was HVAC. And it was just because it was out of his area. It was a job he could take on, but I called him, I walked him through the scope of what we were doing. And I was like, hey, I know where you live. I know this drive is about a 40 minute drive for you. Is this even something you want to touch? Like you have to run your numbers of how much is it going to cost you to get there? And what's your schedule like? And are you even going to profit on it? And he was like, you know what? I probably am going to skip this one. And I said, that's fine. But can you give me a recommendation of somebody that's in that area? And right off the top of his head, he said, yep, you're calling this guy. He'll do it. And it was because they had worked together at a previous company, but he operates in this other area now. So it's like I'm working with the same guy, but it's his friend. So it's it's an okay situation. What were you going to say? I'm sorry I interrupted. Yeah, I have a personal referral. is amazing. And, you know, he feels obligated, feels... Gratitude to his friend for the referral. Don't yeah. want to let them down. Yeah, definitely. That's that's another way to do it. Absolutely. Uh, and I know we're running short on time, but I want to get into future plans for you because you are where I want to be. Like you're in multiple states doing multifamily and flips. And so what do you see happening here with like where our, our financial structure is? Uh, with the housing market, how it is, have you switched gears at all of what properties you're looking for or looking to do? Like what's what's the rest of 2023 bringing for you and your company? Sure. Well, definitely the situation is not easy. It's it's challenging. A lot of flashback from 2008 for the older folks that have been there, you know, 9-11, et cetera. I personally believe that don't rely on one source. Don't be scared because some groups of people scared. Sometimes that's even bigger opportunities, right? No, now is the time when the smart people, the patient people will rise. Um, and not all the superstars that claim to be a superstars. So know where your value is, focus there, you know, master that, and you will 
succeed. With that being said, on the practical level, I think with crazy interest rates um, and inflation and uncertainty, the larger portfolio guys are not going to make a huge move. Right? If you own 10,000 units, that's not the time you want to make a move. On the other hand, on the multifamily size, this is the time when a doctor, a dentist, an older person who's just retired or et cetera, he's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do with his property. He's seeing the the inflation goes to the roof. He's seeing the, the interest rates going. He knows that he cannot refinance in the next two years. Um, and he wants to pull out. So we're going to see the smaller opportunities, right? The 10, the 20, the 30 units, small opportunities coming much more faster. And having your structure in place, and that's what I'm talking about myself, having the structure in place, have the people in place, have the capital uh, partners in place gonna allow you to, you know, go and do a shopping in the candy store very soon. And yes. In the next, I'm waiting for that store to open. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So just be ready. Be ready. Don't be afraid. Master, take a risk on yourself. Um, know what you're knowing. It's that's the time to to do it. Uh, but be very cautious at the same time, right? Evaluate everything. Take additional risks. Don't. Always trust the numbers, you know, it's all good on paper, reevaluate it. Think about what's gonna happen in the worst case scenario. Uh, do I have enough liquidity to cover a worst case scenario? What's gonna happen if I'll need additional capital to, jam, to inject in? Just take this extra step. Uh, but at the same time, guys, we, all, we have so much more houses to build in the United States that needs Desperately, we have so many homeless people that will need, a, you know, affordable living. We have, uh, and people needs roofs. Like that's the first expense. So it's maybe it's not going to be a luxury mansions in in, you know, with dozens of, of million dollars, but both multifamily and single family affordable so call it houses, are here to stay. Everybody needs a roof. Yeah, I'm wondering. Because what I'm what I'm seeing here, the affordable housing is being built, but I don't even think, and maybe I'm off, but I don't even think the affordable housing is affordable housing at this point. Like we're having affordable housing being built. I the last city planning meeting I went, and it was probably like, it was pre-COVID, um, but they said they were building affordable housing, and each unit was going to be. $1,400 to rent. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting in this meeting like, where is this affordable housing? This is seems weird. And just seeing the, the developer in the city council going back and forth on this, I was just saying silent, but that just seems mind-blowing to me. So I'm wondering with all of those uh, affordable housing buildings being built, will you ever see those prices drop back because the building price is so high? Like, that's my fear. I know it's needed, but how do we get there? <clears throat> and that's and also, my worry in 23, 24. Replacement cost and insurance coverage are also, Scott, you know, the, the, the insurances are underwriting replacement costs, not at $80 a foot. They, they you know, the underwriting at 200, right? So when you're buying it below 200, you're basically buying below replacement cost. So, I agree. I mean, it's it's not a numbers of three, four, five years ago. This, it's it's a different numbers. It's different costs. 
I think some part of it is people taking advantage of it. I mean, you post some, well, COVID, COVID is not here, guys. I mean, yeah, you don't have sick people anymore who cannot perform the work. So why, why you, why my appliances are not showing up on time? It's just a kind of a, a lot of, a lot of people, unfortunately, taking advantage of this excuse and, oh, it's COVID or, or something, something in that nature. Uh, and just use it as extra pressure or extra price increase. Yeah. Um, so we, I agree that the numbers are crazy, but yeah. And I'm waiting for those numbers to come back down. Like you said, like the lumber prices went up when people weren't working and when we had shortages, but they've trickled down, but I'm still waiting for them to get back down to where they were. Yeah. But it's also pushed finally in the United States, tremendously building with metal studs, right? That's been slow, slow and slow. And guys, you know, most of the world are not doing wood studs. Come on. It's, you know, just look around, look what's Europe's going on. Look what's, you know, in, in some way. And again, our construction standards and I'm, you know, I'm participating in international shows and knowing what, how other things we are, you know, shaker style cabinets, the, this is our previous century product. You know, we, we need to, and we're seeing that, right? we're seeing much more going into new innovation, new ways to build, but it's still slow. COVID gives us a lot of push and starting to think outside of the box or outside of our perimeters. Yeah. That's, you know, you can build a house without the wood studs. There's other ways to do it. Yeah. And I've been seeing more and more uh, renovations, at least. Not yet. It hasn't taken on with like new builds. They're still doing the wood. But if someone has a house built and they want like a half wall built or a dividing wall or an island or peninsula, they'll build it out of aluminum studs now. And in the commercial side, you see aluminum all the time. Correct. But residential, not so much, which I like the trend. So I've, we actually had somebody from overseas. I can't remember where they were from, but they built everything in concrete. And he talked about how they put an elevator and how they had to support the floor so that they could bore out the hole to put the elevator shaft through. It was super cool. All those X's and O's things are, are amazing to watch. And hopefully they start converting over into the States, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, but I know you got to go and I appreciate your time. Um, keep working over there. I like the theory, like when you opened up and you're bringing a D class home to a C or a C to a B and you keep upgrading. I love that philosophy. I feel like that's where that, um, that margin is going to be where we can have some affordable housing. Um, so keep on working. I'm excited to hear more. Um, and hopefully 2023 brings you some good luck. Sounds good. And guys, if, you know, if I can bring value and give and share with anybody, um, feel free. I mean, my calendar always full of people who need advice. And I'm doing the same, asking for advice for bigger and greater mentors. So as, as we mentioned earlier, that's a shared space when people can help each other. That's awesome. And if we have listeners that want to reach out, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? I think LinkedIn will be the best. Just Joseph, J-O-S-E-F, uh, Lapko, L-A-P-K-O. That's that's the easiest way to reach me out. I'll, awesome. I'll find it. I'll find it and put it in the in the notes on the YouTube and the the podcast uh, notes. So we'll we'll get them and get get them to the right place. All right. Thank awesome. you for the time. Thank you, guys. Pleasure. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Enjoy your Thursday.